Welcome to Real Review, a podcast to help you decide for yourself if a movie or TV show is worth your time, money, and energy. With Real 1, Zoe will break down the nuts and bolts, minus spoilers, of course. And with Real 2, she'll invite you into a conversation about the narrative, characters, background, and the power of story. Here's Real 2. Hey, Zoe here, and welcome to the spoiler-filled deeper dive on Dumb Money. We talk about the real-life events the film is based on, some information about the film itself, and we reflect on what this movie means moving forward. For this topic, I felt like I needed a little extra help, someone who's a bit more connected to the internet world than me. Full disclosure, we had a tricky time recording this audio, but we had fun, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Zoe here with you with another real review, but this time I've got some special guests, and if you hear jingle jangle of bells in the background, it's because we are in my home where there are cats about and I can't help it but my other special guest here beside me right now is my amazing husband Sam hi (laughs) and we have to share one mic so this is a really fun uh, redneck setup I've got going on right now Uh, but I wanted to have Sam as a special guest on this episode because we are talking about Dumb Money, which is a movie that just came out in September, and it surrounds the events that happened at the end of 2020 into 2021, all about the game, stop, stocks, madness, (laughs) all of the stuff that happened. And I remember at the time when all of that stuff was happening that it was my husband, Sam, who was keeping me informed on all of the craziness that was happening at the time. And so we went to see it together just the other day. And first first of all, what are your thoughts on the film itself, Sam? Well, it definitely feels more like a entertaining take on a documentary approach to something that happened. It's not necessarily plot line in the traditional sense, you know, it's not you're not going to watch Star Wars. You're going to watch somebody make a film and show it to you that's talking about something that happened just with their own twist. Yeah, because as far as I understand, it's very accurate to the real-life events. Like, you had done a little bit more research before before we went and saw the movie about the events that had unhappened, and you said it was very accurate. As far as the, like, dates for when things happened, when things were taking place, and following the timeline of events... It was very accurate. Of course, they couldn't go into everything in relation to the short squeeze, but they went into the important stuff. Yeah, let's just dive in a little bit because dumb money is uh, on a subject matter that I feel like a lot of us don't know a lot about. Like, you know, even the term itself, dumb money, is a uh, term within the industry as far as I understand. Like, they do explain that in the film, and I think the film does do a decent job at getting general audiences on board with this world of stock exchange, financing, Wall Street, all of that. Now, before we went and saw the movie, you gave me a crash course on the, I don't even remember what the terms are at this point, but would you be willing to give me like the same crash course again so that we're all on the same page uh, in the terms of what this movie is about? Okay, so first we need to cover what exactly shorting a stock is. For those of you that are unfamiliar, Um, Shorting a stock is, on a fundamental level, betting that a company is going to fail. How it works 
in the simplest ways I can put it, is you borrow a stock for a company. In, in this instance, GameStop. Now let's say, for example, GameStop is at $10 a share at the moment, right? So you borrow some GameStop stock from somebody and you turn around and you sell it to a third party for $10 a share. You then sit on your loan of stocks and wait for the stock value to crash. Let's say it hits $5. You buy it back from the person you sold it to for $5 a share, and then you give the stocks you borrowed back to who you borrowed it from, and whoop-de-doo, all of a sudden, you just made $5 a share profit literally out of thin air. Now, hedge funds do this quite often. Not as often anymore because of what happened, and I'm sure, you know, We'll get into that, or you'll understand if you see the film yourself. But they used to do this a ton, where he these hedge funds, these you know, high net worth Wall Street brokerages, would collaborate and collude with one another and pick a company, and they would all start shorting stock on that company and basically bankrupt it, fail the whole business. Tons of people would lose jobs, and they'd make tons of money off of it. Um, the issue is, is that Shorting a company comes with a lot of risk. Shorting a stock comes with a lot of risk. Because you get into a pickle when you go through shorting a stock, you borrow it, you sell it for $10 a share, and then in two months, instead of going down, it goes up. Now it's $20 a share. Well, now you're in the hole because you don't have the stock to give back to the person you owe it to, so you have to buy it back, which means you're at a $10 per share loss. Not a good place to be. And for all intents and purposes, that means that this style of trying to squeeze every penny you can out of stock is infinitely risky because the value of the stock can continue to rise indefinitely for no foreseeable end. And that's kind of what happened with the GameStop situation is these Wall Street hedge funds decided they were all going to short GameStop during the pandemic because it was primarily a foot traffic business, it was kind of going under, and they s thought that they saw the writing on the wall and decided to short it a bunch. And a bunch of people on the internet, some YouTuber by the name of Roaring Kitty, and a subreddit on Reddit called r slash WallStreetBets noticed that it was being heavily shorted and undervalued, and that the share price of the stock was not representative of what it actually was or should have been they thought they believed that the value of the stock was lower than what it should have been artificially because everyone saw all the hedge funds shorting it and were like oh this company's going to fail and so people stopped investing so of course the internet does what the internet does best and they rally together for some of the most absurd causes imaginable in numbers that you can't even really quantify and the internet decided that as retail traders, they were going to short squeeze these Wall Street hedge funds. Now what a short squeeze is, is so a company comes in, they buy the stock, or they, they, they borrow the stock, they sell it off, and a bunch of people will come in, or someone with a ton of money will come in and buy a bunch of it up. They'll start buying, thus increasing demand of the stock, increasing the value of the stock, and they'll start pushing the price up. Now. This puts the hedge funds that invested in shorting the company into a bit of a sweat because now the stock's rising. So they have to enter a situation where they have to wait it out. 
um, they pay interest on the person to the person that they borrowed the stock from and they wait and hope that the value drops but the way a short squeeze works is the people that buy up all the stock and continue to buy the stock don't sell because it's very important that they, that they do not sell by holding the stock and not selling they artificially cripple the supply while also artificially inflating the demand which causes the price and value of the share to skyrocket and the issue with that is is that in order for these hedge funds that shorted the stock to bail out and cut their losses they have to buy the stock back which puts them on the demand side of things which further increases the demand in correlation to supply and further increases the value of the stock um and i believe they actually did bankrupt a hedge fund by doing this which kudos to them for that thank you for that explanation there is a lot of stuff in in everything and i think you do a good job at it walking at least me through the whole process to explain it and likewise i think the film did do a good job at setting everything up similarly like how you explained it so we could follow in the film how this process is happening and how the normal people right the average retailer stalkers are making the impact that they're making uh, so i thought the film did a really good job at doing that and at the end of the day the film is about you know you could say this deeper side of the underdog rallying up against the goliath right but it's also crazy because this literally happened and that's kind of what i came away when we left the theater is like wow this like really happened not that long ago they actually shot it in the fall of 2022 so last year they shot it and was and were able to put this thing together in theaters as soon as possible what was it like for you watching the film knowing this only happened a couple years ago well i think that it's phenomenal as someone who keeps his finger carefully put on the pulse of the internet communities at large um i'm amazed that the worldwide community was able to pull together and do something like this it's unprecedented i mean when you've got the ceo of nasdaq going on the air with big news channels and asking the government for more regulation of stock trades you know you've done something crazy it's it's a monument to what people can accomplish whenever they rally together for a cause but you know that is also a terrifying notion so for some people it's going to scare them be like wow these internet mobs they can do anything this cancel culture it's insane but at the same time you know this is one of the good moments i think and i'm glad that it's highlighted yeah that's how i feel too it can be for good or for bad causes like you said the mob mentality is scary but if it is directed in the right way now who can say which is the right direction would be a whole debate but i agree with you this was probably a worthy cause in a, an internet fashion there was lots of memes to go around and i think the movie did a good job at <laughs> expressing all of the internet culture uh that this was surrounded in so what should we do first do you have any more information i guess pertaining to how the film 
depicts the real life events and then I can share kind of like some fun facts and background information on the film what do you think we should tackle first um well I guess I can go into a few details that the film didn't cover um one of the things that people often forget is that the stock market and stock share values in general aren't specifically dictated by the supply and demand of the market you know stuff the company does is also really important and I have to give kudos to GameStop when they got this massive cash injection of people buying up their stock they really took it and ran with it you know this company was on life support Wall Street was betting against it as far as they were concerned they should just you know they were going to declare bankruptcy in the next couple of years if not sooner but then you know Roaring Kitty r slash wall street bets they rolled up and started investing a ton in them the stock value started skyrocketing and they took that cash investment and they started investing in patching up all of the areas that made them look like a weak investment in the first place and they really sort of pulled themselves together as a company and were able to survive in that sense and they're still operational today and their stock value is still holding at a decent rate you know and you know we can say the internet rallied together and you know they they bankrupted a, a hedge fund and scared all of wall street and made them sweat and whatnot but gamestop deserves a little bit of credit too because they didn't give up either that is a really good point and now gamestop is still here to this day because <laughs> i remember they were all thinking they were gonna close them all down and everything and then it just completely turned around so to get a little bit into the film itself then, I found this super interesting as I was learning more about the filmmakers themselves. Um, Rebecca Angelo and Lauren Shuker Blum are the writers and executive producers. And of course, being a, a female in the uh, film loving industry, I have to give kudos to woo female filmmakers. Let's go. <laughs> have to do that. Uh, it's nice to see it when I when I get to see it. Um, and then the director is Craig Gillip, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to struggle with this one, Gillipsy, nope, Jill, Craig Gillespie, I, I am saying it really wrong, but Craig here, our director, um, so I saw some interviews that they did as they were talking about the creation of this film, and just how much they loved Keith, the main character, well, you know, real life person, not just character, but the person, Roaring Kitty, and how much they found him to be inspiring, and his story, and how he was just a genuine person on the internet, and the internet can be really cruel and mean, which is something that they go into in the film, like some of the comments that he would get on his stream and such, you know, the internet can be a cruel place, and yet he still had this genuineness and this heart uh, that was what inspired 8 million people rallying to this cause, which is incredible. And some fun facts about the film. So, uh, Gabe Plotkin, who is uh, played by Seth Rogen in the film, he's the hedge fund guy, the big bad uh, of the main bad guys. So he really did in real life buy two mansions side by side with the intentions of tearing a mansion down during COVID to build a tennis court. That was something they found out in their research. And they also found out that the other guy, Stephen Cohen, who he's on the phone with a lot, really did have a pet pig. <laughs> And the pig got so fat that he couldn't live in their house anymore. <laughs> and he went to the farm. So it's like these weird fun facts that they were able to find in all of their research. 
They also found that, yes, Kevin, Keith's brother, played by Pete Davidson, did indeed run a mile naked during a thunderstorm. So, like, a lot of these weird facts or things throughout the movie actually did happen, which, again, goes to show that life is stranger than fiction, I feel like. Um, But another thing that the filmmaker said is the gist of our film is what people went through during the pandemic. So you've got the narrative of, like, the underdogs rallying up against Goliath, the real-life story of how crazy the internet went over the GameStop stock and how they defeated the hedge funds, but you've also got this story, and I picked this up pretty quick during the film, about the struggle that everyone went through during the pandemic. It's like a very kind of like difficult thing almost to watch as we're not that far removed from it. Everyone's social distancing and wearing the masks and you see the first use of like the COVID vaccine and such. And one of the characters is a nurse. And so it's just interesting how they were able to have this other component of the story of how people who weren't stinking rich, (laughs) you know, who had their mansions to play with or whatever, Like, the rest of us usually had a really difficult time. Uh, Another fun fact is the director. The reason why he got on board during the film is his son was involved. Uh, He, like, put stock in and, like, was, like, giving his dad the play-by-plays every single day during all of the events. And so the director was very intimately involved as everything unfolded in real time which I thought, again, lends credit to how they portrayed it so accurately in the film. Uh, And yeah, I want to shout out the actor. The actors were really, really good. And the actor who plays Keith, Roaring Kitty, his name is Paul Dano. And we've seen him a lot in more recent films. Most notably, I recognized him from the latest Batman movie. He plays the Riddler. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, Sam's nodding his head. (laughs) But yes, so... He did a fantastic job. And one last thing I want to add here is one of the writers, executive producers, Rebecca Angelo, said that why we are where we are as a culture, and it's it's an opportunity to do a piece that has that kind of urgency. She's talking about the movie. And it's a story about people feeling small and coming together to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And the filmmakers really hope that if people watch this movie, they go see it that they feel a sense of hope and that they feel that there's strength in coming together as a community and that Wall Street will never be the same again, that they can't belittle the dumb money, they can't, you know, ignore the little guys, right? So let's talk a little bit about how we might predict this film has an impact because a lot of articles I was looking at say that this story is not over yet and I am very curious indeed to see the next five to ten years what an impact this is going to make on our culture, internet, Wall Street, whatever. So what are your thoughts about that? Well, there's two ways it could go. There's the way it's likely to go, and there's the way I hope it goes. The way I hope it goes is that, you know, Wall Street falls apart and the locus of buying power moves into the hands of the people. I would like that to happen. That would be great. Um, What's likely going to happen is measures will be taken, legislation will be put in place, lobbied politicians will push for things, and Wall Street will get a nice, clean safety net for them in case this ever happens again. I mean, they already have hired people to, to 
sift through internet forums to look for other like the comings up of other things like what happened with GameStop so they can avoid falling victim to it uh which you know is kind of sad but also expected you know you can only really hit them with this with the with a trick once and then they learn um but you know maybe just maybe a taste of their own medicine will teach them to stay in their place yeah that is probably for me the scariest part in the movie is when the forum is shut down for 48 hours for no actual reason the given reason is for inappropriate content or whatever something like that and i love when the wife says didn't it always have that on there <laughs> like yeah no that's a not an actual reason why it was just used as a reason why um and so the scary thing is the idea of censorship and the idea of we lose a lot of our power and our freedom when communication between each other is taken away right like that that is this one of the scariest moments for me in the film because of how real it is the idea that our communication can be taken and then we're not able to move as quickly as we need to move on an issue or we're just ignorant of stuff we, it, it's scary and then the other you know funny part in the movie when robin hood which is the app that the um robin hood is a stock trading application that offers um, the ability to trade stocks without charging you broker's fees so you can trade stocks without having to worry about when you get your money back there being you know 50 60 dollars taken out of it for a brokerage fee um it was very popular and very wide very widely used leading up to the gamestop short squeeze but it very very heavily fell off with all of the allegations and precarious situations that ensued um yeah when a app that advertises itself as being for the little the little guy starts stealing from the poor and giving to the rich people uh people tend to stop liking it and using it and uh robin hood is kind of on life support at the moment it's uh I, I did look into it pretty recently, and there are a lot more uh, applications that offer the ability to trade stocks without charging broker fees to the, the trader, and Robinhood's been outclassed by its competition. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an antiquated application, even though it's only a couple years old. It's barely supported. You know, the tech company that runs it's basically broke. Yeah, so that's kind of what Robin Hood is, and that was the app that majority of people on this GameStop stock exchange, they were all using it, and then when Robin Hood realized what was going on, and then they took away the button to buy more stock? So what happened was that there was so many there were so many transactions happening all at once that Robin Hood did not have the money for I, I don't fully understand how their finances worked they were very tight-lipped about it leading up to things no one really knew how they worked people were trying and it wasn't really working they didn't understand how it worked or how it made money and you know it was it was it was a growth company and we all know how those go um, but they didn't have the money on hand and if they 
didn't have the money, or if they if they didn't take any action, the whole thing was going to get shut down by a government body. Like, they were just going to be dead for good, you know, axed completely. And so in order to save them... In order to save their butts from being completely killed as a company, they disabled the ability to buy GameStop stock using their application. Um, and this was happening right at the peak of the volatility of the GameStop stock. And that paired with the fact that Wall Street R slash Wall Street bets went down for 48 hours at the same time caused the value of GameStop shares to plummet from around $438 to around $130. People lost millions of dollars overnight because of this. They've faced several class action lawsuits as a result of this. Uh, There was a congressional hearing. A bunch of other controversial stuff has happened since then. So they've kind of fallen into the wayside, into the pit of things that the internet likes to throw in the trash and forget about yeah the fact that they turned that button off on their app uh, is added to the list of like real world scary issues right that you're trusting this company with your money with your stock portfolio right you've invested all this money and then they artificially wrecked the value of those stocks like if they but they did it to save their butts i get it but like artificially impacted the market i would say i think that's a correct analysis on that and so all that to be said, walking away out of the theater, out of the movie experience and knowing that this movie is very accurate and portrays thing in a very genuine, trying to be true to life way. I know that the filmmakers wanted it to instill some hope in people, but I didn't walk away feeling very hopeful. I felt a little discouraged just because it does seem like the the big guy is always going to win. Um, and so... I'm a little mixed on feeling hopeful and not feeling hopeful. Well, the big guys definitely didn't win. (laughs) Let's get that out of the way very quickly. They lost billions, all right? Just because they had billions in reserve to save themselves and not go completely bankrupt doesn't mean that they didn't lose an absolute ton of money because they did. They felt that pain so hard that they changed how they did things going on into the future they're not shorting companies anymore which on its own shorting a company very toxic betting on the failure of a company and the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs is i would say not a very not a very morally sound way to make your money um but with that said uh i did see it as hopeful but the biggest feeling i had walking out was fomo I was so upset that I didn't invest in GameStop when it was happening because I thought I was too broke. And, well, oh well. You win some, you lose some. Yeah, because you said that the stock went up 400%. That's grossly underestimating it. It went, when this whole situation started, GameStop stock was valued at about $3 and some change per share. At its peak, it was worth $437 per share. That's where I got the 400 number from, so that makes sense. But yeah, that is huge, like in the thousands percentage, I think, if I'm mathing quickly right now in my head. So yeah, totally get the FOMO, but we'll we'll jump on the next 
uh, trend. Just kidding. <laughs> but um, and you said something earlier that I really liked, and I wanted to circle back as we're kind of wrapping up. You said that this film is kind of like a documentary, but it's obviously not. It's a dramatic film, a reenactment of real life events. It's not a documentary. But that does bring me back to the point of like looking at the film as an insulary thing, like not taking into the context of what actually happened, not looking at real world stuff, but just looking at it as a film. I didn't feel like it was like the best film ever because I think I'm so focused on how it's pertaining to real life events, if that makes sense. Like not all of the jokes I found super funny. Pete Davidson was Pete Davidson um, and he did he did his job as Pete Davidson uh, so you, you get what you ask for <laughs> with him um, I thought some of the acting was really good but I don't know sometimes it felt a little bit slow I don't know I kind of feel mixed on it by itself as a film but I'm also a film critic so I think probably way too much about these things what do you think well with any film you have to bear in mind what their objective was um, their objective was not to tell an engaging story you know, it wasn't to have you sitting on the edge of your seat. The Most people that went to see this film already knew what happened. And so it was kind of like reading a book with already knowing how it ends for me. And I simply sat and absorbed how they decided to tell me how the book went because I knew what was going to happen. And I think they did an excellent job of that. The fact is, is that the movie, you know, the installation of hope, the struggle with the pandemic, those were sub-themes. The primary goal of the film that was made very obvious through watching it was to inform people of what happened without making it a really boring news headline or journalist article. You know, it was meant to be a bit fun and engaging so it could keep your attention, so you'd pay attention to it. But no, it was it was a flavorful, fun, educational piece, as far as I'm concerned. And I think if it was going for that, it did it very well. That's a very excellent point. What is What was the film trying to achieve? I think it definitely succeeded in that end, uh, for sure. And I knew of the GameStop stock stuff and when it all blew up at the time and that time just a couple of years ago, but I didn't know how it ended. I didn't know who won, who lost, or Robin Hood, what had happened to Robin Hood, like all of the stuff that they explained, or I didn't even know the Congress thing had happened. So that for me was really cool and new information. I told you not to tell me anymore. I was like, don't spoil it, don't spoil it, don't tell me what happened. Cause I didn't know, I knew that it was about Roaring Kitty and I didn't know how his life was changed post stock exchange. Um, and they do give tie up all those loose ends by the end of the movie. So yeah, I would have, I totally agree with you. It is like a better news article. It's a, an educational uh, piece that is entertaining, I would say. Um, so yeah, that is probably, that's probably what we'll wrap it up here. So thank you, Sam, for joining me in this conversation, talking about dumb money. Yeah, well, I just like the stock. <laughs> special thank you to Sam as my special guest, and he ended the episode perfectly, so I'm not going to talk much longer. Let me know what you thought if you saw Dumb Money and what movie needs a real review. You can send a shout out to Real FM with the Real FM app, or you can hit us up on all the Real FM socials. I'll have links in the description below. Thank you. 
The Real Review Podcast, hosted by Zoe Moody, is a part of the Real FM Podcast Network. You can listen to more Real FM Podcasts or Real FM Radio on the Real FM app or at real.fm.